Welcome to Dev Bootcamp Live, the podcast where we help you level up so you land your first engineering job and you become the best engineer on your team. I'm Juan Lizarazo. And I'm Jared Potter. And today we are going to discuss uh, a good topic because actually we have, we have talked a lot about the things that we should be doing right and things we, we should be focusing on, right? So today's going to be a little bit, a little bit different. So Jared, what, 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 are, what is the discussion about today? Yeah, today we're going to be talking about the most common front-end mistakes. So, you know, this isn't meant to be as like, oh, no, don't ever do this, right? It's more about understanding, you know, some of the pitfalls that some of you might run into as you're on your journey becoming front-end engineers. So Juan and I are just going to kind of share some of our personal experiences, both from ourselves and from, you know, teaching students on some of the most common mistakes that you guys can keep be aware of and hopefully avoid. So let's go ahead and just jump right in here. Um, Juan, do you want to kick us off with with one of your points? Yeah. So every time we start a new project, uh, sometimes like we start a new project and then we start like building a lot of things. And once we're like, we're too into the project or the application is built out or the web app is built out, sometimes we find that like, oh, for mobile phones, there's maybe issues, the the text is too small, right? So there is this thing called... uh, Responsive, responsive typography, right? So my, my, my first thing I would say is like, consider responsive typography from the very beginning on any project. So just Google about it, research everything you can about it, and then um, use relative units to set your uh, text size, especially when we have those high resolution screens on phones. So that will save you some time when you're leading to the project, something super basic that you can do, but it's mistakes that I've made. And then fixing that is time consuming when you are, when, when your project is already built out or you start finding those issues later on. So it's just easier to handle that and address that at the very beginning of the project. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. So a lot of you students might be, you know, normally using pixels, right? Getting started, you know, that's a pretty normal thing to do. Uh, But yeah, just learning a little bit about relative elements and CSS and typography can go a really long way. That's a really great, great tip there. Yeah. So, so I bet like our audience never heard this before, responsive typography. So my challenge, go Google it, learn everything you can about it. You'll be an expert on it in a couple hours and then you will start using it. So it will provide you good value. Yeah, excellent. All right. So uh, my first tip that I have or, you know, or mistake to avoid is, you know, a lot of my students getting started building web applications, they kind of just end up uh, not worrying about what's called separation of concerns. And there's a few, you know, there's lots of different areas when we're talking about separation of concerns. But the two that I want to talk about is number one, the idea that technically, you know, if you will create an index HTML file, You can have your HTML, your CSS, and your JavaScript all in one giant file. And technically it works. However, you know, it's not very particularly organized. So, you know, I would always recommend making sure that you have, you know, separate files, one for your CSS file, one for HTML, and one for your JavaScript file. It's pretty simple, but it's a a mistake that I see a lot of students make. Yeah, and, and that has to do that has to do with uh, single responsibility. When you say, you know what, my files are responsible for just one thing. So that 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 goes hand in hand: uh, separation of concerns and single responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that point. The other aspect of this as well is not using inline style CSS, right? So if you're writing your HTML out and you try to add an attribute to one of your elements that says style equals, and then you start writing CSS like background color or whatever, 
that's going to be a moment that you should stop and be like, no, this actually belongs in a CSS file. So you should create a CSS file, create a class, and then reference that class in your HTML. Um, we've talked about this before in, in former episodes where inline styles have too high of specificity. So, you know, go ahead and check back to that episode and listen to it, or just even Google about CSS specificity and why you should never use uh, inline styles. Yeah, learn the keyword specificity and learn everything you can about it. It's, it's very useful. And the specificity calculator also play with it. And, and that will help you with interviews also. Mm, so another thing that, that like another common mistake is especially with those relative units units we mentioned earlier, right? So so the difference, understanding the difference between root relative units, right? So the rems and the ems or ems, I don't know how to say that, em, right? So understanding the difference between those two relative units is very important if you are using um, if you're using rems instead of pixels in your project. So I would say Google the difference between those, but understand that like. The, the, that maybe you want to use REMS most of the times for your project and then EMS maybe for some cases, but I, but, but don't use them too much because they, they, because they're relative to the parent, right? So, so, so understanding the difference. So the difference, yeah, tell us the difference between the REMS and the EMS, uh, the units. So we can clarify that. Yeah, so with the uh, relative elements, you have to basically specify a, a base, uh, you know, essentially what that relative element is going to be, like the unit it's going to be, where I believe, and I'm, you know, a little bit fuzzy on it, the the M's is more of a of a static amount that's already kind of set. Uh, is that, is that, could you help clarify that? Yeah, so, okay, so the M's is a relative unit to, relative to the parent element, and the rems is relative to the root of the document. So usually when we work with those, for example, let's say we set a font size uh, in for, for the HTML and the uh, body element, and we set a font size for those. So usually I think it's 62.5% or 67.5%, which just means it's 16 points. And that's for responsive typography also and for relative sizes. But then um, that means that when you use rems, it's gonna be relative to that. Okay, so if you change that is for the HTML root element, it's gonna affect um, it's gonna affect anything using rems. But if you use ems, ems are indifferent to that. Ems is gonna be always be affected by the size or the font size of your uh, parent element. Okay, so if your parent element changes and you are using ems in all the nodes that contain that are contained by that parent element, then it's gonna affect everything, the whole uh, tree or the subtree in the document. So, so it's kind of like, sounds super basic, but it can get very confusing, right? And, and it's something that we take for granted. And the reason why I'm mentioning is this is because I have made the mistake that I misuse them and then I bring a library. For example, if you bring um, Tailwind UI, right? Tailwind UI uses ems um, and rems, but if you use Angular Material, Angular Material uses pixels and some rems. So it kind of like makes it hard to work with those if you have those in your project and you're not using them properly. So it's kind of like a tricky thing that you cannot take for granted, a common mistake that you can run into as you start using libraries or you start using relative units. And, and it's also very useful for interviews to understand that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great, great clarifying point there. 
Um, is that is that your is that your tip or is there another? Become a mistake. Understand the difference yeah. between the two of them oh, okay. and how to properly set uh, a good unit for the rams if you want to use them, and maybe stick to rams because you will have an easier time. Yeah, great. No, that's a really good point. All right. the The next point that I have here is uh, the next mistake that I see a lot of people do is not using Google correctly or not using research uh, correctly. So I see a lot of my students end up typing pretty wordy, pretty long search queries into Google. And, you know, ultimately it doesn't usually come out with very, very good results, right? Like, you know, if you're typing in like how to do this thing in HTML or how to do this thing in JavaScript, right? I find that the more words I put in that Google ends up getting more confused about what I really want. So you know, when, I, when I'm doing my search queries, you can do something as simple as saying HTML select. And it's going to know that I want to look at the select element, right? Maybe I need to be reminded of some specific syntax or some specific attributes that I can put on that. But just by typing HTML select, Google's going to provide me with exactly what I need to see, the results that I need to see. Or an example, I could say JavaScript reverse string. And again, it's going to provide me exactly what I want without having to have all of those extra words um, involved in there. Another example might be node save file. You know, uh, what, what's cool about node, and this is an important distinction as well, is node generally, pretty much always generally refers to backend code that you're running, right? It can also refer to running code locally on your own machine through Electron or something like that. But generally, <clears throat> that's going to mean, um, you know, server-side JavaScript, which is a little bit different from web JavaScript, right? So when you are looking at resources, um, it's, it's helpful. It's helpful to do that as well. Um, Juan, what are, what are some of your, uh, you know, experiences with, with Googling and, and so, you know, yeah, I usually tell my students that like software engineering is about what to know what to look for. So when I teach them some topic, right. When we cover, let's say data science or data structures or computer science, uh, things. I tell them like, don't memorize all these. You don't have to memorize it or know these the way I do, but you know, you just remember the keywords and remember what to look for. Because part of being successful as software engineering is knowing what to look for. Maybe you, you don't remember like, oh, I don't know, you know, you don't remember how to create a linked list because you need one for C-sharp. Let's say you're working with C-sharp, just an example, or, or like, oh, do they have native list. Like if you know that list is something that exists out there, then you can easily find, let's say, NPM JavaScript package for lists or for trees, right? So it's knowing what to look for, which is so crucial and goes hand in hand with uh, what you just mentioned, knowing how to do searches because that's half of our work, right? Like it's, we, we don't remember, we don't memorize everything. We are not experts knowing everything, every single page of the documentation for these uh, never the evergreen libraries that we have, right? They, they, they are updated week after week. So we cannot keep up memorizing everything, right? So knowing what to look for is very crucial, knowing how to use Stack Overflow, right? So, so that's a very good tip, Jared. Yeah, and, and just to add a little bit to that as well, um, you know, sometimes it's important to, if you are working in a specific version of a language, right? That to, to append that on there, right? For, and I think the most common one is, <clears throat> pardon me, is Angular, right? Because version one of Angular is Angular JS, you have to be able to distinguish that from Angular two plus, which is everything else um, that's you know been written since then. Um, and yeah, it's really important to know that you know even as senior software engineers or principal software engineers, they still Google things all the time to be able to <laughs> reference things. It's not yeah. about memorization. 
yeah, we Google all the time and we find things on Stack Overflow and documentation. Um, yeah. and, and we share information. So Jared, the next one is the, the, the next thing is like something that always gets to JavaScript engineers and front-end engineers is working with dates. So this is like common mistakes, right? Working with dates, uh, it's a pain in JavaScript because usually your dates are going to be um, on your local browser time zone, right? But maybe your backend is in a different time zone so you sometimes have to convert or sometimes you want to work with timestamps. So really the tip here is like when you're working with dates with JavaScript, first use a library. So don't try to work native date manipulation because in JavaScript, that's very verbose. You have to have a lot of statements and expressions to get what you need and it's not gonna be quite right. It's very repetitive, very boilerplate. So use a library, don't get fancy. You're not gonna impress anybody, okay? <laughs> if, you, if you try to do everything native. So use a library, that's the tip, first tip there. Second tip, do not use moment, it's 2021. Moment, that's a thing of the past, Moment.js. Why? Because JavaScript, the newer specifications have more support for native uh, manipulation for uh, dates, but also there's newer lightweight libraries that can be tree-shaked that don't have issue with locales. For example, Moment has issues when you have to exclude the locales because they're very big, but then there's pieces that you cannot tree-shake because you just import the whole Moment default export. So then you're importing the whole library and your bundle is bigger, like all those issues. So the Moment team last year, I think it was March, they decided that they said like, you know what? This is feature complete. We might do bug fixes, but we're not adding new features, but we recommend you to not use Moment anymore for new projects. So that's the official recommendation. So 2021, do not use Moment. If a library you're using uses Moment, that's fine because it's a leverage you're using, okay? But but like, for example, you're using Angular Material and Angular Material is using Moment at the time, then that's fine. You have no choice, right? But keep that in mind. That's team number two. Team number three, learn the difference between uh, the different timestamps. So for example, there's uh, Epoch, right? Or Epoch timestamps, right? There's also Unix timestamps. So there's a difference there. I think the difference is like by a thousand <laughs> from what I remember. Um, also, what does it mean? Um, I think it's January 1st, 1970, right? Or something like that. That's when the timestamp count starts. Uh, so learn everything you can about those things too, because usually when you work with timestamps and with dates, um, you're going to have to do operations or calculate like uh, how much time has elapsed between some dates or stuff like that for when you're working with a lot of front-end and back-end. So it's very important to understand those things, okay? And tip number four, time zones, right? So understand like, why should I work maybe with GMT? How do you save in the database? Are you saving in your local time? How are you converting that, right? How are you returning that time zone? Are you not returning a time zone with your API? Then you're doing it wrong, right? Because if you don't return a time zone, then your JavaScript is just gonna convert it and it's gonna be the wrong time. So dates, this is always a difficult topic. And for interviews, if you dominate, you master dates, you're gonna nail your interviews when, when, when you're asked about date operations and, and different things with dates and timestamps, okay? So yeah, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think you did a great job covering all, all four of those tips in regards to dates. Yeah, dates definitely, you know, send engineers on a spin, right? Sometimes they can definitely be, feel confusing at times, but yeah, like all those tips that Juan said, you know, don't use, don't use moment. There's a lot of alternatives. If you just Google moment JS alternatives, you'll see a bunch of them and you know, they're very small and many of them actually have kind of, uh, you know, copied the, the interface, the, you know, of how to interact with, you know, creating dates or formatting dates or things like that. So it's actually pretty easy to, um, switch over to that. 
Um, yeah. And then, yeah, be, knowing how, uh, being familiar with Unix or Epoch time, I believe, yeah, one's in milliseconds and one's in seconds. Um, being aware of how that works. It, it's actually, you know, from a computational standpoint, it's really easy to just say, hey, is one date before another date when you can just compare two, two numbers, right? Which is just some seconds and says, yeah, this one's bigger than this one. So you know it's um, before or after that. But yeah, no, really great tips in that. Please do go and practice your dates. Um, pretty much any project that you work on will very likely have dates involved in it in some shape or form. Yeah. So, uh, please look trying. at that. Yeah, if you're storing something in the database, you sure have some timestamp there for updating records, for audits, for, you know. Um, so, Jared, um, I'm just going to share here with the with, with our audience or whoever is watching us on YouTube. Um, so don't forget, like, you can get in touch with us, following, follow us on Twitter, right? So I'm on, uh, at twitter.com slash Juan Lizarazo G. So it's J-U-A-N-L-I-Z-A-R-A-Z-O-G. Whatever platform you're listening this on or watching this on, there's going to be links to our Twitters. And the reason why we share Twitter is because then you can engage and tweet at us or ask us questions or let us know if you want us to discuss a different topic or if you want to like different things like that. That's the way to contact us. Yeah. And everybody can find me at twitter.com forward slash Jared Potter. That's J-A-R-E-D-P-O-T-T-E-R. -T -T yeah. You know, keep follow me, see what I'm talking about. And please, yeah, do, um, you know, tweet at me, ask me questions. What are you working on? Maybe you just have quite a question about one of the topics we talked about. Um, there's no dumb questions. You know, I'm happy to engage and help everybody learn. You know, everyone's at a different stage on their learning and I'm helping, I'm here to help you level up to the next level. Yeah, and remember, um, every um, every any platform you are listening this on or watching this on, please subscribe or follow us so you get notified when we publish new content. Uh, because of your support, right? Like when you listen or watch this or comment on it, we keep creating more content. And for twenty twenty one, we have big plans. We're gonna do more things. So um, so stay tuned. Okay, we're gonna go beyond the podcast. So so I think you, you will like uh, what we're planning. Yep. Excellent. All right. So it's my turn for the next tip. So, or, you know, the next mistake that, you know, you should be aware of. So the, the, the next one is going to be not consistently practicing or, or learning, right? So, you know, I'm not saying that you need to spend hours upon hours upon hours every week, you know, or every day practicing and learning, right? But what I am saying is that it is important to, you know, set aside time, you know, schedule it if you need to for, I would say at least three to four hours a week being able to learn new things. I mean, being a software engineer is really about learning to be adaptable, learning about how to be flexible, learning how to, you know, essentially learning how to learn is what we like to say. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can express this. You know, one way is like maybe just learning about a new topic that you had heard about maybe during your coding boot camp or that you just saw on Twitter and maybe go read a couple of articles about it. And then after you read those articles, go and do some play time, right? create, you know, create a new project, even if it's just a simple, you know, index.html, index.js file, right? And just play around and, and become more familiar with whatever that topic is. Um, I would also say, you know, if you do, and once you get to a point of having enough skill in front-end web development, you know, start working on certain per, uh, personal projects. Think about building things for yourself. You know, don't worry about it needing to be a real product or don't worry about there already being something out there that does it way better. That's not what it's about at all. It's about learning and, you know, advancing your skills, which will ultimately pay off in the form of, you know, personal satisfaction, but also in the form of, of, of your career as you learn more. So I would just, yeah, the, the, the mistake is just not practicing enough. You know, don't get caught up in thinking that, 
you know, you're not good enough, that you can't, you know, learn something every day or at yeah. least every other day. But and even, Juan, what are you, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah. And even if you don't want to learn like new, oh, I don't want to learn new libraries and new stuff. Okay. That's fine. So just stick with the libraries you know you're working with and check their updates every week. Every week things get updated. So for example, you're using React? Cool. Go to the React project in GitHub, see what issues are being merged, check the source code, see how React works under the hood, check the change log, check, check like the new functionality that is being released. So, you, so then you stay relevant because then you become the best engineer on your team. So keep that in mind. Um, for example, I personally, like I have right now one Udemy class that I bought uh, over the holidays that I want to take because there's some new content on new things I want to learn. And, uh, and then gonna be taking it and and I probably will be applying this at work too or or for other projects and things I'm doing. So so keep that in mind. It's always good to be learning so so then you you keep leveling up and becoming the best engineer in your team. So that's a very good tip. So Jared, the next one I'm gonna share and this one goes back to coding is that when you start a new project and this is a very common mistake. You start a new project and you forget to set a universal box model. So I don't know if this, this rings any bells, but any like high level, when you have a div, for example, and you give it a width and a height, and you set the width and height, let's say 100 pixels, and it's a square. But then let's say you, you want some padding, so then there's some internal margin for the elements inside. And you say, I want a margin of 10 pixels, right, for all the corners, for all the edges. And you do that. Now your, your div is not 100 pixels anymore. Now it's 120 by 100 by 20. So that also messes up your layout. So by setting a universal box model using the border, border box property, but to, to learn how to set it up, use Google universal box model CSS tricks. They'll give you the snippet, you copy and paste it, and in a minute, you are ready to go. So that's the first thing there, because then when you add padding to your elements, the, the width and height of your elements are gonna, is gonna be preserved. So let's say you add the padding, it's still 100 and 100 and it goes inside because you normalize you need the box model. So this is not done by default by browsers because of the specification, but it's a very useful trick. And this is something you wanna do for any brand new project you do, no matter what framework you're using, you gotta do that. Uh, if you're using a library that like a style library or a CSS library, they probably are doing that for you. So maybe just check and see if they're doing it or how compatible it is. Usually we do that for modern front-end development. Another thing, Jared, is that um, along with the universal box model, use if you're not using like a, a, a UI library or something, then add a normalization class, a normalization uh, style. Uh, for example, normalize.css or there's others. You can check a lot of options. There, there's many out there. And what they do is that they normalize certain things between vendors because things look different in Chrome than they do in Firefox. I mean, there's some minor differences. So a normalization uh, style will reset Right, it will reset things. So then everything looks the same for the different vendors. And the last one is uh, an auto prefixer, for example, post CSS. So you don't have to track like, oh, I have to add a vendor style for Safari and one for Firefox and one for Internet Explorer, right? So you can, or for Edge, it depends. Like, uh, like you don't have to memorize those. You just use normal standard CSS properties and a and a prefixer will automatically add the vendors and all the different properties that are repeated and stuff like that. So that's kind of like 
super important for any project you're doing. So then you will have cross-browser compatibility, but then your layouts are gonna stay as you start doing updates to your UI. And this is a mistake I've made. I mean, I learned this the hard way, like maybe 15, no, maybe like 12 years ago, 15 years ago. So uh, it's gonna save you, uh, especially if you're starting out or if you're interviewing, it's gonna help you out there. So just research that universal box model. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point there. I mean, it's a good idea just to do that from the very beginning of the project because, I mean, I mean, it's one thing if it's like a personal project that you're learning things, but if it's something that you are wanting to become, you know, a real thing that you want other people to use across browsers and across devices and things like that, getting it up, getting it put in up front is going to then potentially save you a lot of time down the road because if you then put this in later on, it might, you know, shift around a lot of, you know, the things that you have built with CSS, right? I mean, we've said this before, but essentially you're building on a lie almost, right? You'd written all this CSS and then you bring in these um, normalizers and, and things uh, and, and then things might might get jumped around. So then you have to go back and kind of fix all of your CSS. So yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a really great tip there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the next tip I have is, you know, or, you know, mistake I see a lot of students make is not either practicing Git or, you know, just generally using Git. So, just a quick distinction here, as before, Git is this, you know, agnostic technology that's used for managing repository, managing your code, creating commits, <clears throat> things like that. GitHub or Bitbucket or uh, GitLab, all of those are implementations of the Git technology in a hosted fashion, right? So that you can push your code up to, to the remote and have it be persisted, even if your machine got stolen or got physically destroyed or something like that. So, so the specific tips I have is one, you know, just, just use it, right? So when you're creating a new project, get familiar with running git init to initialize your repository, get, you know, be familiar with how to add files to be staged and how to commit those using a meaningful commit message, not just typing some random characters in, but try to describe what you're doing, right? I, you know, anything you're doing, I think can be described in, in a sentence or two, um, uh, and then also one important thing is making sure that you remember your git ignore file. So this is going to prevent files that you do not want saved on your repository from being pushed up. So most commonly um, is going to be your node modules folder is something you do not want pushed up because that's just a whole bunch of uh, you know extra code that has nothing to do with your repository. And if people have to get clone your repository with node modules in it, it's going to take them a long time. Not to mention when it comes from the perspective of employers that might be looking at your GitHub, especially as, you know, coding bootcamp graduates, it, it just, it, it kind of, it, it is communicating that you, you don't know that you should ignore that, right? That you're, you don't know that. So making sure that you are ignoring that. And if you do happen to have um, environment variables, especially for the back end, making sure that none of those are saved in your JavaScript files that they are in an environment file that is also get ignored um, is going to be is going to be crucial. There are there are front end environment variables as well, but those are generally designed in such a way that they're not meant to be private or secret. Um, there, it's okay that they are quote unquote exposed on on the front end. So, um, Juan, what are do you have any uh, like tips to add on to Git for students? Um, not really, but like. I mean, it's just important because it might also come up at interviews. Like usually if you're applying as a just a recent graduate, they might ask you, you might be asked one or two questions uh, about Git during the interview, just to validate. They will ask you like, one of the questions is like, do you know Git? 
Yes. And, you know, and then the other question is uh, maybe a situation about Git or maybe they'll have you do something with Git uh, just to validate that you actually understand it, right? So the, so keep that in mind. For example, what is a pull request, right? It's not a Git-specific thing because pull requests do not exist in Git, but it's about Git management systems or repository versioning uh, uh, management like UIs. So so keep that in mind um, that that is also important and relevant as you are entering the industry. Once you're in the industry, they, they, you might be asked like, do you know Git? Yes. And that's it. No more in the interview question. But when you're starting out, they might you might be asked more relevant questions. So it's also going to help you out there. So Jared, uh, we're running out of time. So let's share the last two tips um, for, for, for our audience. So one tip um, is about, and we, we cannot stress this enough, but understand the difference between references and values, because as you're working on your code, this is always going to introduce box if you don't understand the difference. Um, check out our previous episodes. We have talked about it like in three episodes uh, when we talked about uh, pure functions and, and also interview questions. So understand that from the very beginning, if you are still new to the industry, because these not only come out of interviews when you work with JavaScript, uh, they will have you probably do maybe whiteboard questions and they will show you a reference and mutating it and, hey, what's the outcome of this? And you don't have a compiler to tell you. I mean, you don't have a, 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 a node environment or a JavaScript environment to tell you. You have to do it like thinking, right? So you have to understand that. And also for your projects, if you don't understand the difference and how things work with objects and arrays and mutations and side effects, then you're going to introduce bugs in your code and then it's going to be just more painful to track those down because those are just are difficult. So, so keep that in mind and and that's my last tip for for today so jared share your tip yeah so the the last tip i would have is um you know being able to uh you know you know continue to learn your the foundations of html css and javascript right you're ne there's never going to be a case where continuing to learn more about them and practice them and just and i'm just saying just the vanilla versions of these right i'm not even i'm not talking about you know, using React or Angular or Vue or any frameworks or, or library, UI libraries like that. Everything that you learn in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript will be relevant throughout your entire career. I don't see it ever going away. Yeah. So being able to continue to learn those foundations and not lose them in the shuffle of the frameworks will always be beneficial to you. So don't many, don't get lost in, in the new stuff. And many companies will not care what framework you work with or what library. They care that you understand how things work under the hood. And they care that you understand at least one of the frameworks because they know you can learn the other. For example, hard interview question about something that is basic with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, like that, no framework related is, for example, how do you know, or with JavaScript, how do you know when an image is loaded in the browser? That's a hard interview question. So how do you know, like Jared, like uh, it's really hard. I mean, we're not going to answer it. Uh, I'm just going to let our audience Google it. And that's your challenge. But, but really like, that's something that is not related to React. Like, how do you learn that? Right? Like, how do you know that the uh, images rendered and loaded in the browser? How do you know that? Right? Well, of course it's in JavaScript. What part? So this comes out of at interviews. So keeping up with the foundations will help you get uh, your foot, you know, through the door to get into those jobs. So especially if you couldn't answer that question, right? So anybody out there, you have homework there with us, but yeah. So yeah, really cool, Jared. So yeah, I think that's really it for today. We're out of time. So thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Dev Bootcamp Live, where we help you level up. So you land your first engineering job and you become the best engineer on your team. I'm Juan Lizarazo. And I'm Jared Potter. And we'll see you next week.
Take care.